This week on Cinemaholics, we're flying higher, further, and faster in our review of Captain Marvel. And with us, we have special guest Kimber Myers of the LA Times. I do think that the challenge with Captain Marvel is, is in the script, which is its weakest point. We also discuss Leaving Neverland, a new HBO documentary from Sundance about the sexual abuse allegations surrounding Michael Jackson. I watched Leaving Neverland as kind of an outsider, and of course we get to some other new releases including The Aftermath, The Kid, and actually one new TV series on TBS starring Steve Buscemi, Daniel Radcliffe, and many others, Miracle Workers. I'm worried that people are going to be like, oh, this is like another good place. All that and more is coming up on Cinemaholics. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he also reviews films for the playlist Cutburn Film. Hey, you guys. And of course, Cinemaholics.com. It is Will Ashton. Hello, John. How are you doing, Will? I'm all right. How are you doing, John? Not too bad uh, because, well, I am the author of the novel Killer Joy, a book about Pixar called The Pixar Theory, and I write about film for Adam Insider, Relevant Magazine, The Young Folks, and Cinemaholics. I'm John Agurney. I was rushing through that to answer your question because I'm... I'm happy because we have a special guest this week. She's been on Cinemaholics many a time. You know her from her film and TV reviews for The Playlist and LA Times. It is Kimber Myers. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Always glad to be here. It's been too long since we had you last. I think uh, we did our special bonus Christmas episode in December. And then maybe before that, you were here for our Ladies Night episode, which was a ton of fun. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, we want to do that again. So just name name the movie, name the crew, and let's make it happen. I like it. All right, well, you can find more episodes of Cinemaholics on adamticket.com. You can write into the show anytime by sending us an email. We're cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support us directly, you know, keep the show moving, you can become one of our monthly patrons on patreon.com slash cinemaholics. Will and I have been talking lately about some new perks maybe we can start doing for our lovely patrons who are so oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah and, uh, you know, we're not announcing anything concrete yet, but we've been talking about it and maybe yeah, yeah. hopefully providing some new content for you guys. Uh, because we always appreciate your donations. But real quick, you know, we're going to be doing Captain Marvel in this episode. We don't have a lot of off topics or anything because there's a lot of films we want to talk about this week. But do you want to plug two things or not really plug the first thing? I just have a question about Gloria Bell because that is the new Sebastian Lelio film. It's a remake of Gloria from 2013, which I know Will Ashton, you have seen. I could not catch a yeah. screening of this movie. Will, are, are you going to see Gloria Bell? I really want to see this. I mean, I saw the original Gloria, like you said, and I, I don't know what this one does differently. It seems like it's like almost a shot for shot remake of it. So I don't know. Right. But with Julianne but like Moore. Ju- well, I was going to say, yeah, Julianne Moore. So I'm sure it's good. I'm just not sure why he remade it, if only just for English audiences or English language audiences, I guess. Yeah, but it wasn't there wasn't really a huge like cultural divide from what I remember from the first movie. So I'm not quite sure what the advantage of it being remade is, truth be told. What about you, Kimber? Gloria Bell, is this on your radar? Are there any screenings going on in New York? What's going on? Yeah, I missed the screenings, which I was not happy about because I really liked the original and I've heard good things about it. But I am going to see it this week uh, in the actual theater. So it'll be a, a good use of my uh, my AMC premiere Stubbs membership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. I think that it's it's perfect for like a you know middle of the week. Hey, I've got an extra AMCA list stub kind of thing. I can go see it, and so I want to see it as well. But I don't think it's going to be in the Bay Area until a few weeks from now. But that's Gloria Bell. If you're wondering why we're not talking about it this week, none of us were able to see it. But one other quick thing: our movie of the week on Cinemaholics.com is To Sleep 
with anger. So we all were catching up with that on the Criterion channel. That was technically last week's movie of the week, but we talked about it this past week. You can find Sam Nolan's write-up about that film from director Charles Burnett. It's a great piece about Burnett's filmography that you should definitely seek out. And if you want to follow along with our next movie of the week that is out right now on the Criterion channel, we highly recommend that you check out Criterion Channel, that the whole streaming service is coming out on April 8th. Just want to plug that again because the clock is ticking. These movie of the weeks aren't going to be lasting forever. And if you become a charter member for Criterion, it's not an ad, just an endorsement, (laughs) then you actually get to each week see something that's going to be on their whole catalog debuting on April 8th. It's a great service. It's going to be not a replacement for Filmstruck probably in a full way, but definitely something that's going to make it a little bit easier to mourn Filmstruck, I think. So that's the Criterion channel. And again, go to simhawks.com and you can check out Sam Nolan's weekly write-ups on these films. He's been doing a great job catching us up on that. But without further ado, Kimber, Will, let's talk about Captain Marvel. Uh, This is a new superhero film. It's the big movie of the week. And yeah, so in Captain Marvel, we see a lot of firsts for for Marvel Studios. This is the first female-led superhero film from them. And I was trying to think about this. I I, I admit I didn't do too much research, but is this the first female-led superhero film from Disney? And no, you can't count like Alice in Wonderland or something like that. But am I forgetting something? Or is there something Disney has released that's kind of like that? Um... I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess like maybe like Tomorrowland or something, but I'm not too sure if that would count either. Then you would probably yeah, have to count in curls too. <laughs> I think if you're strictly defining superhero film and not considering Incredibles 2, which I do think you, you can count, this is, this is the first one in my, my memory. Right, right. Yeah, because it's not as much of an ensemble, even though it kind of is. So, all right. But then, yes, this is also the first female-directed superhero film from Marvel. This was co-directed by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. They previously yeah. collaborated on Mississippi Grind, Half Nelson, Sugar, and I think a few other films as well. So it's obvious that there has been just all the anticipation in the world leading up to this new origin superhero film. Captain Marvel was teased, of course, in Avengers infinity war Avengers Endgame is just next month. So this is coming out at a very interesting time. And this is also a weird film because it's a prequel, right? The prequel to Avengers phase one, kind of like how captain America, the first Avenger was sort of a prequel to the entire Marvel cinematic universe. So in Captain Marvel. I'm going to try to explain this plot, but it's very complicated and hopefully we're going to unpack it and make it simple for anybody who's curious about this film and hasn't really watched a lot of trailers. But in Captain Marvel, right off the bat, we're introduced to Veers, who is played by Brie Larson. Veers is a noble Kree hero. She later calls herself and her allies, but she is really a bit, she kind of reminded me of the Nova police soldiers that we saw in Guardians of the Galaxy. But I, not ironically, but kind of interestingly, she's working for the Kree, who would eventually have a falling out with the Nova Corps, led by Glenn Close. And honestly, we could go all day talking about the connections between all these films and the cosmic lore. So hopefully in this review, we're going to discuss maybe how Captain Marvel does or doesn't sort of juggle all of these complicated galaxy-spanning details. But I will say, it is important for us to stress that you, in my opinion at least, can jump into Captain Marvel without remembering too much from the other movies. I never felt like you are watching this movie and if you don't remember that that guy is the villain from Guardians of the Galaxy, you're lost and all hope is lost and all of that. 
I think part of the reason this works as an origin story is because Veers, our main character, she's actually trying to piece all the clues of her own past together. She can't remember who she really is. And what's interesting about Captain Marvel in this way is that it throws a wrench in the origin story formula we're used to seeing from these MCU movies because the film starts with the main character already being a person with their superpowers figured out, maybe not fully figured out, but you know, she can use her photon blast. She's combat trained. It's not like any of these other, a lot of these other origin films where it's Dr. Strange learning for the first time. Oh, what are these powers? How does this work? How can I, you know, become Dr. Strange? So yeah, Captain Marvel jumps right into the action where Veers and her team of Kree allies led by Jude Law, who plays someone, I think you say it's Yon Rag. I never fully got this from the film, I want to say, but they're after a group of shape-shifting alien terrorists called Skrulls. And the chase for them eventually drops Veers on Earth circa 1995. She's separated from her team and suddenly she's getting all of these memories of like, I've been on this planet before, which is very suspicious. So she eventually links up with Nick Fury from all the Marvel films, D.H. Samuel L. Jackson. And from there, Captain Marvel, pretty early in the film, becomes kind of a buddy comedy. They're trying to figure out where the scrolls are, what they're after, and of course, they try to stop them. We have a clip from the film where Veers is trying to make sure Fury is not a scroll himself, because again, they can take on the appearance and recent memory of anyone they come in contact with. So Captain Marvel, she has to ask Nick Fury some personal questions. Uh, here is the clip for that. Oh, oh. You want to get personal. Where were you born? Huntsville, Alabama, but technically I don't remember that part. Name your first pet. Mr. Snoofers. Mr. Snoofers. That's what I said. Did I pass? Not yet. First job? Soldier. Straight out of high school. Left the ranks of full bird colonel. Then? Spy. Where? It was the Cold War. We were everywhere. Uh, Belfast, Bucharest, Belgrade, Budapest. I like the bees. I can make them ride. Now? Been riding the desk for the past six years, trying to figure out where our future enemies are coming from. Never occurred to me they would be coming from above. Name a detail so bizarre a scroll could never fabricate it. A toast is cut diagonally, I can't eat it. You didn't need that, did you? No, no, I didn't, but I enjoyed it. Okay, your turn. Prove you're not a scroll. All right, that is a clip from the new Marvel film, Captain Marvel. Uh, pretty easy to remember the name of that one. But okay, Kimber Myers, I want to throw it over to you first. One of the main reasons we wanted to have you on for this particular review is because, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you have a, an outlook on the filmmakers here. I don't want, want to put words in your mouth that you're a fan of Anna Bowden, Ryan Fleck, but I get the sense that you are. So in a broad sense, what were your expectations for Captain Marvel and where they met? So it's definitely looking forward to it. Um, I've seen most of the films from... Fleck and Bowden. Um, I think the only one I've missed is it's kind of a funny story and have enjoyed their, their work on screen and films like um, especially half Nelson and, and sugar as well as really liking Mississippi grind as well as uh, they did some work on the big C, which I feel like is one of those kind of forgotten early peak TV uh, shows. And then the affair, which is kind of up and down, but um, yeah. I think so you, um, in treatment too, I think. Uh, good question. I know they also did billions, which I'm not caught up. Oh on. yeah, yeah. I haven't watched that one either. But yeah. anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh no. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that they're they're pretty talented filmmakers, but 
and I try to see most of what they do, but I also don't really come away with like, it's been a long time since I've seen uh, Sugar and Half Nelson in particular, because I think I saw them when they came out in the middle of the last decade. And I can't really tell you much about either of them at this point. Um, they do, I think, do really great work with actors. Um, Half Nelson was one of the big early films for um, Ryan Gosling and, and Sugar had some really nice performances, especially from some unknowns, one of whom reappears here. Um, and Mississippi Grind uh, had some always strong work from uh, Ben Mendelsohn, who also is here, um, and Ryan Reynolds. And so, yeah, I was, I was looking forward to it. I do come away from this film, which I, I would say I'd overall give a positive grade to, um, but I don't know how much I'm going to remember of it in the future. So it may kind of uh, have that same effect as a lot of their other films. But I'd also say that about many of the Marvel films. So, mm. um, yeah, I, but I, I do think it's a, a nice entry in, in this MCU um, that kind of falls in the, the middle range of quality as far as these things go. Yeah, I've read a lot of reviews at this point, seen what a lot of people have to say about Captain Marvel, and that's actually pretty much in line with one of our Cinemaholics writers, Julia Tatey. She did a review of Captain Marvel this past week. You can go check it out right now. But she was kind of feeling the same way. So she gave this film a B-, and she's kind of, I think, in a lot of agreement with you, Kimber, based on what I'm hearing. Uh, what about you, Will Ashton? And I know Marvel films are just your favorite, you know? Like, you know... Every Marvel film ever made is an A plus for you, and obviously I'm joking, but yeah, no, you, I mean you like you like plenty of them, of course. Yeah, I, I mean, there's only a few that I think I really liked. I mean, probably Black Panther being among them, but um, yeah, I, I tend to walk away from a lot of them, as you know, like you're saying, like kind of maybe not indifferent, but just kind of average or like yeah, it was pretty good, but I don't think about them all that much. So for me, my main appeal going into this film, um, as Kimber was saying, was it being new to Ryan being the new Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden film, because uh, for me, I don't know if I'm going to be showing my age here, but uh, Half Nelson was like one of those watershed movies for me. Like, I remember when I saw that, I was probably about like 13 or 12. Um, it was like one of those like, oh, this is what movies can be. Like, this is like a very indie kind of low, like uh, kind of grounded, nice, naturalistic movie. And it kind of opened my eyes at that time to being like, oh, like films can be like, so personal and intimate and revealing in this particular way. And so I haven't uh, like Kimber, I've only seen that once and I'm kind of afraid to revisit it just as I don't know if it's going to be as good as I thought it was the first time. But I do know that I followed their films with interest throughout the years for that reason, the way that they are able to make these movies about kind of like salty earth people who are just kind of trying to get by uh, despite the inflictions or troubles that uh, beset them. But when I heard they were doing Captain Marvel, I, I remember it was like, well, that's, not at all what I expected from them, just because mm -hmm. them making one of the biggest movies of the year kind of goes against what I'm talking about there. And I do know that for the first half of the movie, I was kind of confused as to why they were brought onto this project. Not that they were doing anything bad, just didn't really seem like their work. It just seemed like another kind of Marvel movie for them. And and to but, interject for for clarity, I listened to an interview with them actually, and they they actually put their hat in the ring. They wanted to make this oh, film sure, yeah. so we yeah, yeah yeah so it wasn't like oh we need you anna and ryan and only you can do captain marvel i think they were very active in seeking this project out for reasons i think are yeah. a little you know makes sense 
Yeah, and they also co-wrote the film in addition to directing it. So they're not just directors for hire here. They they were pretty sure. in, heavily involved with the film. But for me, as I was watching the film, uh, especially because like with like I said, like the first half of the movie is like all in space, and it's like very much not Earth based, like not grounded in the way that the earlier work was. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like why? Why they seek themselves for this project? Why did they come on board? And then as I was watching it, I realized the movie was more about identity. Uh, the film is kind of mirroring the structure of our main character's plate, like her trying to find her uh, reality in two different kind of worlds. And so um, the the film kind of mirrors that. The way the filmmakers do that is kind of interesting. The, the film has like this kind of Earth-based uh, storyline. They also have it in space. And the film kind of progresses in that similar way. And I found that was something that was pretty intriguing for Fleck and Bowden to bring to the film. And so... On the whole, I'm with Kimber. I, I didn't love the movie as much as I was hoping to. I found myself a little underwhelmed because uh, based on just I wanted this film to be really good for them. And I think it's doing really well and I'm glad it is. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's fine. It's pretty good. But I, I do find myself kind of wishing it was a stronger film overall. Okay, well, let's get into it. So we didn't yeah. actually talk a lot about the cast or the screenwriters. So I want to give them a shout out, of course. Meg Lafave, who was a screenwriter for Inside Out, one of my favorite Pixar films, worked on this. But also Nicole Perlman, Geneva robertson Ray, Liz Fleeve, and Carly Mensch. A lot of really talented screenwriters. I think Kelly Sudaconic, who wrote the now kind of iconic Captain Marvel run in 2012. She had a cameo in this film. So which kind of leads me, and uh, before I talk about the film, do you want to say the rest of the cast? We mentioned Samuel Jackson and Brie Larson, but there's and Jude Law, but also Annette Benning has a pretty sizable role in this film. Ben Mendelsohn, who I think a lot of people will agree, he steals a lot of his scenes. Jaimon Hantu and Lee Pace reprise their roles from Guardians of the Galaxy, but of course this is before they're in those uh, that film, not those films because they weren't in the second Guardians. And then yes, Gemma Chan, Colin Ford, and Lashana Lynch in a very very important rule, which maybe we'll get into later. So for me, you know, the, the tagline of Captain Marvel is higher, further, faster. I think I'm saying that right. And when I was watching this, I was like, this is Marvel's chance. Like that kind of a rally cry sort of feels like they're sort of saying to themselves in the audience, like we're going to go higher, further, faster as a studio. We're going to put out a, a different kind of Marvel film. One that actually has a female protagonist at the center who is well-rounded, who you know does a different kind of origin story. And we got these directors who, like you both have said, are experts at character studies. And I had this sort of conflict with that because I didn't walk away from the film thinking they were even going for that. So my, my three-word review of this film was high, far, fast. Like it definitely is that. I don't, I don't believe in the er and with all of those words, if that makes any sense. I think that where this film worked for me wasn't in being bigger than what Marvel's done before. It's just sort of the safe, cosmic, fun kind of Marvel movie that we've gotten before. And even though I've walked away from some Marvel films feeling kind of whelmed, you know, where I haven't really been like, that was the best thing I've ever seen. I've always found them endlessly rewatchable. I, I love diving back into the films. The lore is so engaging. That's kind of where these films click for me personally. And with Captain Marvel, I'm kind of feeling that same thing. I'm kind of feeling like I would revisit this film a hundred times. I, I just think that it has like a breezy nature to it, even though 
there's a lot of stupid things in this movie. There, there are a lot of things in this movie where I can imagine some people are going to watch it, especially if they're already MCU skeptics who just really aren't into these films as a cult or culture or however you want to put it, just really being frustrated with that movie. And I'm not sure if that relates in any way to what I think either of you are talking about. So Kimber, what do you think? Do you think that criticism is a little bit too far? Like, do you think that this film in any way should infuriate somebody who doesn't already kind of like these films? No. Uh, and and I think that these films are generally not built for that kind of reaction and don't get that kind of reaction. I I do think that the challenge with, with Captain Marvel is, is in the script, which is its weakest point. I mean, you listed off a ton of people <laughs> Um, who are a part of, of writing the film. And it does seem like it's cobbled together from a lot of different brains and ideas. Um, but that said, I, I came away from it having had a really fun time. Um, I, I think it absolutely entertains in, in a way that is a credit to, to its stars and, and to its directors as well. Um, yeah, I, anger is not, I, I think, either going into it due to all of the ridiculous nonsense backlash um or having actually seen it like anger to me obviously anybody can feel the way they want to feel but all right if that's how you you want to take from this <laughs> like sure totally i think what my struggle is is that there are so many points in this film where i'm like that's kind of dull and i shouldn't be liking this or there's some things that happen in this film that where i'm like this is just not very good filmmaking, or these aren't really good special effects, but I still really enjoyed the film anyway. And I'm trying to figure out what is it about this Marvel formula that makes me like things that in a lot of ways should not be liked sometimes. And not to say it about Captain Marvel, but I don't know. There's just something about this, the branding of the cinematic universe that makes me uneasy because it's so easily is able to make me like things that in any other movie, I'd get very frustrated. I mean, there was a point in Captain Marvel, I was like, this kind of feels like a Sony film, like one of the bad Sony superhero films, not the really good one uh, in the Spider-Verse, got to reference it. But I don't know, Will, is anything I'm saying making sense or do, do you have any kind of idea where I'm coming from? No, I get that. I mean, for me, I guess that I, I felt kind of similar to how I felt in a weird way to Thor Ragnarok in that I felt like the filmmakers were coming alive in the middle segments, like that's where I kind of got to see their influence more. And maybe that's because that's a scene where she's coming to earth and all that. But I just felt like in that movie, I remember like the, the first act and the third act felt very much like Marvel formula. And then the middle, when they were in that, um, what was that planet called in Thor? Uh, Sakaar, I there say. you go. But that I was mean, like, okay, this is like talking with TD. Like this is what I'm talking about. So, that's what I felt like throughout this movie is that like Which there are little I just, moments. I'm so frustrated, yeah. Will, because Thor Ragnarok is a masterpiece and I'm never going to get over this, but sorry to interrupt. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a discussion for another day. My, my point just being that I think I agree with you in the general sense. Yeah, I think that for me, the stuff that bugs me a little bit is the kind of formulaic stuff or the stuff that we expect from the Marvel movies that feel less personal and less like from the filmmakers and more just for like, a big studio like Disney kind of like having their influence in the film as opposed to the filmmakers. So I guess for me, the, the moments that stood out the most were the ones where I could tell it was Bowden and Flick involved and not like the, the Marvel elements so much. Yeah. The looser bits were what I liked, whether it was um, Nick Fury and Captain Marvel 
interacting or, or really just any scene with Ben Mendelsohn as Talos. I thought, oh, yeah, he's great. Yeah, there's like a little bit of weirdness and it doesn't quite proceed along the like character or, or dialogue beats that you'd expect in a movie like this, which I, I appreciate. I think that that's where it absolutely does its best work. I, I guess I, I'm curious about what you think of the sort of theme and message behind this movie, because I think the big tripping point for me when I was processing this film, not really while I was watching it, although a few times while I was watching it, I just didn't quite understand why why this character, we spend so much time with Carol Danvers being told that she has to control her emotions, but it was just a weird script flaw that we never really got a sense for like consequences when she couldn't control her emotions. For the most part, she seemed to me like she could control her emotions just fine. And I I didn't really understand what the movie was trying to say. Like I understood the general idea behind it and sort of the, the feminism, the sort of girl power aspect behind that. But if you don't have that understanding already, or if you don't sort of fill in those gaps yourself, to me, I just didn't see on screen her struggling with what the movie was saying she was struggling with. So that was something that really flattened for me by the end. Because by the end, you're supposed to have this big moment where it all comes together. And I was still with it because, you know, again, I, I'm in conflict because I'm with it in a very meta sense, but I'm not really with what this film is on its own. Like, I just don't think it really stands on its own as well as I feel like it really should based on the writing. But I don't yeah, know, Kimber, yeah. did did you kind of see that? Yeah, I I agree that I think it doesn't come as clearly on its its themes as it, it might. I do like the idea that what it is trying to say from, in particular, a feminist point of view is that people, in fact, generally men will tell you to control your emotions and that there will be consequences that you don't and that women are, are too emotional and, and all of that. But yeah, I, I don't think that the film actually clearly communicates that it's men or society as a whole that are trying to tell women to, to keep themselves and their emotions in check. And um, that there are consequences when you don't, but actually that, no, this is a, a good thing when you're able to use your full power and um, really tap into those emotions. So, yeah, I, I think that it's not as thematically deep there as as it wants to be. Yeah, I just felt there's a lot of telling as opposed to showing in those moments that I found a little disappointing. I mean, for me, one of the best moments is just when they have that like montage, like from her past and they go like in her brain and like they show like what they're talking about. And to me, that was more rewarding than just like having characters like explain how we're supposed to take away from the journey here. And I found that was kind of frustrating and annoying in that regard. Yeah, I agree, though, that that was a pretty great sequence, you know, especially when you go back and you look through the film and in, in a different context, there are some subversions here on pretty established Marvel lore that I loved actually, because there were, there was like a through line kind of a political through line with this film that kind of echoed anti, anti-refugee, anti-stuff like that, which we won't go into, but it was really effective. I thought, I thought it was like a very effective way. Like I felt like they put more effort into making that come to life and making you care about that aspect of the story than maybe some of the other ones, maybe some of the gender dynamics at play. But aside from that, I mean, what other things stuck out to to you? I, we didn't really talk about Goose, who, oh, yeah, I, Goose. you know, I was so surprised to see they actually put a flerk in, in a Captain Marvel movie, but that's great. 
Um, but what, what, what did you think of what was, what moments stood out to you, Kimber in general? I, yeah, I think goose is, is a delight. Uh, goose, the cat, um, slash Clerken. Uh, but, um, yeah. And I say this as, as a dog person, but I thought that not only was goose great, but the way that he interacted with Nick Fury or Nick Fury interacted with him, I thought was really fun. Um, and added a nice, element to the film as well as just some increased depth to the Nick Fury character, which we haven't gotten, especially in a while. I, mm-hmm. I think he's in his, his absence. So it was nice to have him back. Um, but also get to see this different side of him, both with the cat as well as with Captain Marvel. I think you referenced earlier that it's kind of like a buddy film and that's not the dynamic that we've seen him have with a lot of the, the other members of the Avengers. So that was a different fun way to, um, to see that character. I really dug Annette Benning. I mean, as, as always, um, she's great here. I thought what they did with her, with her character was, was interesting, uh, not to give too much away. Um, but she also just like, she's a badass. She's so great. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she's in much more of the film than I thought, you know, I thought that she was maybe going to have a couple of quick cameos, but they found a way to kind of creatively work her into more scenes. And I thought that was a pretty smart move. What, what about you? Will? what stood out in Captain Marvel? I mean, we've, we've kind of criticized the film, but what were the good moments for you? Uh, yeah. I mean, I got to echo about goose, uh, like Captain Marvel. Uh, I'm just going to quote myself on Twitter, I guess. Uh, I'm rather fond of the orange cat with a big appetite, appetite. <laughs> I messed that up. I'm sorry. But um, yeah, no, I, I thought Goose, everything without Goose was great. Um, although they changed the name from the movie because I heard that uh, it's like Chewy in the yeah, comics. I, yeah. I, they, they talked about, I think, in an interview that they, they felt like the the Chewy thing was a nostalgia for Star Wars. It didn't make sense anymore because Star Wars is like yeah. happening right now. So they wanted to change a- the name to something that like, oh, Top Gun, you know, you can have a little uh-huh. bit more of an understanding of like, Again, nostalgia, I think, is the key word there. And honestly, yeah. I prefer the name Goose. I don't know about you guys. I, I like it in a more, it's a little more quirky than Chewy. So I like that. And I also think, um, I mean, the movie goes out of its way to like reference Top Gun in several moments, including recreating the like one like uh, shot mm-hmm. with uh, Brie Larson in the plane. But um, yeah, I, I, I definitely dug everything about Goose. And I agree and echo with everything Kimber said about Samuel Jackson. It reminded me a good bit of, um, how they humanize uh, Clark Gregg's character and the Avengers to kind of make him more than just like the guy in the suit that's kind of going around telling people what to do. Like they gave him a little bit more humanity. And I thought his uh, chemistry with Brie Larson was pretty good. And I enjoyed their little interactions together. Um, I also like that bring back um, to like, I was expecting more like a Star Wars influence, but I kind of like the movie had kind of like campiness in the vein of like Star Trek. In select moments, it kind of has definitely nineties like Star Trek, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, just that like it doesn't like apologize for being kind of right. like sci-fi leaning. Like it's just like yeah, we're in an alien planet and aliens are just mm-hmm. walking around with the makeup and it has like that campiness <laughs> that I really like in yeah, that yeah. way. And it's just like yeah, you know, it's like like they're obviously like Ben Milson's obviously like a guy in makeup, but like no one questions it and they don't like apologize for it or anything. It's just like fun in that regard, and I like that. So those are some things I think I enjoyed as well. 
Yeah, we obviously can't to talk too much about Marvel lore and things like that, but there were some surprise character moments, cameos. There's, of course, the big cameo that happens for Stan Lee that we won't give away, but a lot of great Stan Lee appreciation in this film, including, if you haven't heard already, there, there's something that happens very, very early on with that that is very touching and, and just really put the movie off on the perfect note, I thought. And yeah, there, there are just other things that, again, we can't get into, but there are characters in this film are like, ooh, I can't wait to see what they do with this character. You feel them sort of paving the way for the next generation of Marvel with characters who are direct references to other characters we're going to see later on. So those are things I definitely appreciated on just a very nerdy sort of level, I guess, or comic booky sort of level, especially as somebody who, you know, I always thought the Captain Marvel character, mainly Miss Marvel, the Carol Danvers version throughout comic book history has just been a mess. I mean, the things that they've done to this character for so many years, when she was initially introduced, it was like the opposite of, I think, the spirit of this movie and the spirit of, you know, Kelly Sue's run, uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick's run in, in 2012, where they really reinvented this character, I think, extremely for the better. And I think the movie continues that sort of retconning in a very positive direction in a way that I think... It's not the same thing as Wonder Woman, for example, which really felt like the culmination of decades and generations of fans loving Wonder Woman. In many ways, Captain Marvel feels like the birth of a new icon, because even though Captain Marvel's been around for a while, since the 60s, this really feels like the first generation that's really going to cling to this character on just a totally different level. And I, I really love that the film is good in the sense that it's going to just enrapture people in what I hope will be a very strong future for this character, one that feels pretty open-ended and could go anywhere. So that really excites me. On the note of Captain Marvel herself, let's finish this out talking about the main character. We haven't talked too much about Brie Larson's performance, how she does in this role. It's a big role for her to fill. She's been in a lot of films before, a lot of great indie roles. But Kimber, do you see it? Do you see Brie Larson as Captain Marvel? Does it fit? Does it work for you? What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm definitely a, a Brie Larson fan from what feels like way back, whether it's Short Term 12 as as well as uh, Scott Pilgrim. She's, I, I think, really fun as well as able to pull off the, the more dramatic moments. And I like her character here. I appreciate the kind of flip humor that, uh, that bothers a variety of her <laughs> Uh, fellow characters, but I I dug it um, and enjoyed her interactions with, of course, the people that we've mentioned previously, as well as with Maria Rambo, uh, Lashana Lynch, uh, who's played by Lashana Lynch, and thought that they were great together. I also thought that physically she pulls it off, and they did some great marketing for the film when they released um, some footage of like here's the Captain Marvel workout, and you can do. There are three different levels. You can um, like push against a wall. You can push a sled, or like Brie Larson did, you can actually like push a car. She really impressed me physically. I mean, if you guys should check out that clip if you haven't seen it, it is really impressive the amount of training that she did for this. And I think being able to pull off not only the the comedy, the more serious moments, but the action as well was a really um, really pleasant surprise. Yeah. What about you, Will? Do you, do you think that, do you, are you in agreement? Do you, do you think Ree Larson, is this the role that she was born to play? Um, well, no, I think I tend to enjoy her indie work a little more, but um, 
yeah, I think she did a decent job. I'm excited to see the sequels and the future films that she's in, including Endgame, where she can kind of uh, imbibe the, the role a little bit more and not get into like the identity kind of like origin thing that we're in here. It reminds me a little bit of um, the way that Benedict Cumberbatch and like um, what's his name, Mark Ruffalo, are kind of loosening up with their their new films. I think the the role is going to come very much like it's, I'm looking forward to the sequels. Is what I'm saying is I think it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah, I think she's gonna really own it in those ones, but I think for now she's pretty good. I, I'm, but I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next. Yeah, I think this reminds me exactly of how I always felt about Thor, where I was like, okay, I, I see it; it's there, the potential is there. But I think in the next few films, they're really gonna have a, an easier time bringing this character to more life. And mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely what we got with Thor Ragnarok. I think some people might disagree with that. I don't know, but you know, everybody loves Thor Ragnarok. What am I saying? But I think this is a performance or this is a role where I have loved it and then I have not loved it, but I never disliked it at all. Like there was never a moment where I was like, ah, this is such a bad casting decision or man, Brie Larson, you could have done a better job with that line. I never felt like that. I think half the time though, I was like, oh, I love this. I, I just think that she, she just makes it look easy. I'm also a huge Brie Larson fan. I think the first Larson role I ever saw was when that Disney channel original movie where she's like Danica Patrick's sister, I want to say. I, I don't even remember the name of that movie, but she was in it. And she also was in Community. She was in, you know, we, we mentioned Short Term 12, and I think her big breakout role was probably Room. But I even liked her in movies I don't like, like Trainwreck. She just always is able to provide something in a film that, you know, just this kind of like casual energy that really works. And so I was a little skeptical about Captain Marvel because like, this is a different kind of character. I mean, is that sort of casual effortless energy she has, is it going to translate well to a film? And I think Kimber, you nailed it. She, she brings a fierceness that we haven't really seen that often with her roles that makes the, the whole thing work. And yeah, she's just, she's just a well realized character. I just don't think she was well-written in every place. And it, it does kind of have that syndrome of she doesn't know who she is yet. And there are a lot of moments I got frustrated in this film. I was like, man, she has all this amnesia and, but she also has a fully formed personality. And so I didn't really understand her all the time. Like there just was never a moment where I fully connected with who this person is, even though I liked what she was doing and I thought she was funny. I liked the action and things like that. I just, I never had that emotional synergy with her. Like I was like, I'm really rooting for this character. I'm so in this character's camp beyond kind of a superficial level. So that's how I am right now. But well, I think you're right. I think in later installments, they're going to have more room to do that. They're going to have fewer burdens of expectations where like, we got to get this right because if we don't, you know, this is the linchpin of the Marvel cinematic universe. This movie kind of has to be safe on a level, right? So Mm -hmm. let's, let's, let's get into our final thoughts though. I, I think that's kind of my final thoughts for me. I have a lot of struggles with this film, but the good stuff kind of overshadows the meh stuff. There's nothing in this I disliked really for the most part. So I'm a pretty solid B, teetering on a low B, but an enthusiastic B, where I just feel like this is an easy recommend for fans of Marvel, but I don't think it's going to evangelize people who are a little tired of Marvel at this point. But what about you, Kimber? What are your final thoughts and your grade? Yeah, I I kind of fall into the same camp. I wish it had done more to kind of reinvigorate the the MCU, but also understand that that is not what the MCU is about. There there are some <laughs> exceptions. I think most notably Black Panther and Thor Ragnarok, but which I'm fully on board with. Uh, but yeah, I 
I had a great time, but felt like this was a, a flawed film in many ways, but I'm curious to see what else they do with the character. And in terms of a grade, I think I would also like, uh, like Julia Tatey go with a, a B minus. All right. A B, a B minus and Will Ashton. What about you? This is it. Where are you at with Captain Marvel? Yeah. Um, kind of echo where I was with the uh, Alita battle angel a couple weeks ago. Um, I was looking forward to this film being among the more progressive and forward thinking of the Marvel movies. I was looking forward to seeing like how this, this character could, could uh, progress the franchise and let it move forward. And I felt like the storytelling shortcomings kind of held it back in ways that disappointed me to a certain extent. But I do think the stuff that, it, that is in here that works, I do enjoy. Um, although I, I can't say I'm a big fan of the 90s nostalgia stuff that was in this movie throughout. I, I found that kind of tedious in a way that I find normal. Like, I guess usually now we see it like with the 80s, but now like the 90s kind of reverence just fell a little on the nose, particularly some of the song choices, though. I must say, I will not ever complain about having some Nirvana and R.E.M. <laughs> in your Marvel movies. So Same I don't know. I, I, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, I enjoyed it. Uh, I don't think it's as good as it could have been to echo Kimber. But I do think that there's some strong stuff here. And I'm looking forward to seeing uh, where we go from here. So I'm also going to give it a B minus. All right. I'm surprised we didn't say more about the 90s stuff. But yeah, I'm always a fan of eschewing 80s nostalgia for 90s because it's been so uh, unbalanced. But I'm just saying we haven't gotten enough of it and Everybody Sucks isn't getting a second season. So I'm a little bitter. But okay, Captain Marvel has a pretty baked Rotten Tomatoes score at this point. 347 reviews. 80% of them are positive. And I think it has an average grade of A on CinemaScore. So film people or film goers are definitely liking this one a lot. Critics are liking it. And I think, yeah, the average rating kind of speaks to the film. It's it's a 6.8 out of 10 average. Definitely not a film that's getting a lot of five out of fives or anything like that, but one that people are definitely appreciating and saying, you should maybe go check it out if you are interested. And the box office would say that a lot of people are interested. It's mm -hmm. so far as of this past weekend, not counting Sunday, Captain Marvel has grossed already $153 million just in the US and Canada. And it's already, it's probably going to hit between 450 and $500 million, if not more, by the end of the three-day weekend. So this film is going to be a huge, huge hit. It's going to be one of the MCU's heavy hitters for sure, until, of course, Endgame comes out and makes every, like, all the rest of the money out there. So... That's Captain Marvel. Before we move on, we got to do some listener reviews. We had we asked oh, yeah. you all on Twitter what you thought of Captain Marvel. We asked you to send us your tweet-sized reviews so we could read them aloud on the show. And this is your chance to shine. Let's hear what the listeners had to say, shall we? First up from Jake Holland. Jake has been on the show, of course. He was in our Jurassic World episode, Fallen Kingdom, that is. Jake said, solid Marvel Studios film slash origin story for an integral character in the MCU as it moves forward into a new era post-OG Avengers phases was not perfect or as groundbreaking as it was possibly expected to be, but it was mega fun. Nonetheless, Brie nailed the part. Yay, goose. So it sounds like Jake is kind of right on line with us, but... Yeah, uh, what about this one? So this is from Drew Douglas. Drew said, scattered moments made me want to stand up and cheer, but mostly I just wanted to go home and hug my cat. It's probably not a good thing when a cute cat is your lasting memory. Mid to lower tier, MCU sadly, so a little bit more negative. Kimber, as somebody who's more of a dog person, did this one make you want to hug your dog at least? 
I also don't have a dog, um, but oh. I'm super I'm super allergic to cats, so that's like part of the the dog preference there. But same here. Goose did make me kind of want to want to go like pet a a kitten, although a bit more gingerly for both. Uh, right after taking some like allergy medicine, and of course, yeah, you know. and then washing my hands right after. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, friend of the show. We, we got to get her on one of these days. But AJ Coffee oh, yeah. from the Young yeah, yeah. Folks. Uh, it would be so great to have her on. If you're listening, you, you're welcome anytime. But AJ had a pretty brief tweet size review that I still pray at the church of Brie Larson. And now I might be a cat person. <laughs> so definitely, I think Goose was the real scene stealer. I'm sorry, Ben Mendelsohn, but and Brie Larson. I, I just think Goose, this was the this was the role. This was the one. Mm-hmm. All right, this one is from Twitter user. I, I can't say it because it's it's a lot of consonants, but C-W-O-D-T-K-E said, saw with 13-year-old girls and they screamed with joy. She's the action hero we all need. Fun, powerful, sincere, and inspiring. Best moment. I don't need your approval. Close second, anything, Goose. Stay for the Easter eggs. So definitely a big fan. Yeah, I mean that's that's a review I like to hear. I, I'm glad that that's that's what's happening right now. Yeah, there weren't a ton of kids in my screening, so I, I didn't get that experience. What about you, Kimber? Was the did, did you kind of get that sort of like fan audience reaction? Um, there were a few kids in mine, not as many um, as as there might have been. I also went to a relatively late showing on a Friday, so hopefully they were in bed by the time the movie was over. <laughs> yeah, um, still not a school night, but okay. Yeah, but I. Uh, it seemed to be a positive reaction. There was a kid who was an aisle over who was just like absorbing and commenting on everything and seemed super into it, which is, which is nice to see. I, I do think it's important. I wish that we would have had a, a similar thing. I mean, I grew up with the single like Supergirl movie, which was not great. Oof, yeah. <laughs> wow. I forgot about that. That is bad. <laughs> yeah. And the, the worst I, that, thing about that was we couldn't watch it drunk when we were kids. So <laughs> Yeah, but it's a very, very different experience. But I, I am excited that that girls and also boys have the experience to see multiple female superheroes on screen leading their own, own movie, whether it's this or, or Wonder Woman. So they can kind of pick who yeah. they identify with and see a variety of, of different female superheroes re- represented on screen. I think that there is nothing bad that comes from that. And I do think, too, that this film did a particularly good job of not objectifying um, yeah. Captain Marvel in her suit and that they went with the, the suit style from the Kelly suit iconic run rather than the previous uh, more, uh, mm-hmm. I guess we'll say lust worthy. Yeah, uh, skimpy. Some would call Yeah. Like bathing suit esque, um, which is not very practical, but I thought the the costume here both looked great and, was uh practical if you're gonna be um you know fighting all kinds of people um and the camera did not really linger (laughs) as as you might see in some other films um generally directed by by men um as um so i thought that that was that was great it was about how she's powerful and smart and funny and it wasn't just focusing on her assets I could not agree more. I've been reading Alicia Malone's new book, The Female Gaze, and yeah. kind of learning a little bit. Yeah, I've been learning about, 
you know, how female filmmakers really have a particular eye that just is unique, you know, to cinema and you, you know it when you see it. Right. I think is a funny tweet that's been made about that. But yeah, I mean, I grew up, I, I like Xena warrior princess over Hercules. I think, yeah, boys have much wider empathy than some people want to admit, you know, like we can, mm-hmm. we can root for people that don't look exactly like us or do the exact sort of things that we sort of, you know, do as boys. So I, I definitely think Captain Marvel should be a hero for everybody. And it's just great to see that, yeah, that, that I that identification that can be had in those audiences is going to be awesome. I'm going to be seeing, I didn't mention this, but I'm going to be seeing Captain Marvel again because I just like rewatching these Marvel films. Get off my case. I think they're, they're always fun to watch twice, but uh, this one's from Sam. Sam said an enjoyable ride with solid performances, but the direction and pacing was so confusingly random throughout. And there didn't seem to be one coherent idea. So kind of what my complaints were also, the cosmic fantasy bits really didn't work for me, but when grounded on Earth, I had a great time. Yeah, we didn't talk about it too much, but some of the cosmic stuff I thought was fine, but just the lighting was pretty bad and it just felt hokey, mm-hmm. you know, that early stuff. Just didn't quite, yeah. it wasn't quite as into it, but I liked yeah. some of the world building of the Cree homeworld, Hala. That was kind of interesting, but we didn't get a lot of it, so. No, no, I, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I, I do enjoy, like I was saying, some of the campiness, but I also agree that like some of it, Seemed a little hokey and to the point of being detrimental, but was that Sam, Sam Nolan, or is that different? Sam? No, no, this was uh, Sam, I think, Happy Tapper on Twitter. Oh, okay. So I should have, I should have okay. specified. So I apologize. It's all right. Um, it was just Sam on the, the Twitter name. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, we, we got so many other listener reviews and we're really sorry we can't get to all of them. We have one last one from Rachel, who does Rachel's reviews, said, fun start, fun ending middle slow and weighed down by exposition nice chemistry of cast and i like the mystery take on an origin story brie larson is great look forward to end game so rachel has kind of the opposite of take on this one as you will because i think you kind of like the middle and you didn't really like the beginning and the very end am i reading that right uh i, I didn't dislike beginning and end i just oh, felt okay. like the movie kind of came alive more in the middle because that's where i felt like the filmmaker's influence was coming in but i there's no part of this where i'm like i outright dislike this part i just felt like the middle was a little stronger than the end in the beginning all right well at the risk of making this a full-on captain marvel episode let's move on to some of our other reviews first up and you know we're not going to spend too much time on all of these of course because i mean i'm still processing some of these films we're going to be talking about but the first one is leaving neverland which is a new two-part documentary on HBO. It's about the sexual abuse allegations surrounding pop star icon Michael Jackson. Each of these documentaries is about two hours long. So if you want to watch the whole thing, it's actually a four-hour sitting. I did do this. I watched all but like the last 30 minutes, I want to say, of the second part because I just had to stop. So, and yeah, I have a hard time recommending this option of seeing it all at once, because this is a really upsetting documentary, but I'm going to say this is what I think an essential film about celebrity culture. And it really is about how society can so easily, tragically and thoroughly fail victims of abuse. Now, if you're not familiar with the career of Michael Jackson, first of all, what rock do you live under? I mean, I was never a huge fan of Michael Jackson or anything, Growing up, my family, like we didn't listen to his music much. It just wasn't something that I was into because by proximity, it wasn't something that my friends were all that into. I, I didn't really listen to a lot of his music until maybe middle and high school. 
And even then, it was never something that, by the time I was growing up and I was in school, the the pedophilia stuff was already kind of out there. He was already sort of the butt of a lot of jokes. You know, there was a great piece, I, I forget which website, but it was talking about how, you know, comedy was used to sort of laugh off the Michael Jackson allegations. So all that to say, I watched Leaving Neverland as kind of an outsider to the fame of Michael Jackson. I've never sort of been like, oh, I want to give this guy a pass. And I realized that it's it's hard. It's hard when you're such a huge fan of somebody to criticize them or to have a different, more nuanced look at their life in the context of something extremely disturbing. You know, he faced multiple allegations of pedophilia over the years, but he died in 2009. He was tried back in court in the early 2000s. He was found not guilty in part because of somebody who is now speaking out in this documentary almost 20 years later, Wade Robson. So he's one of two people who was a, a victim of Michael Jackson, but in court and multiple times before that, Wade Robson said, no, Michael never did any of this. And this is a documentary about how this could have happened, how he was able to sort of protect Michael, how he did this sort of thing that really let a lot of other people down. And that's, again, it's what makes this such a difficult watch. So Neverland itself from the title is a ranch that Michael Jackson created to bring young boys to kind of a utopia playground. They, they sort of describe it as just this amazing place, but really it's described as his victims as a grooming place for sexual activity. They have like all of these rooms, for example, with beds. And it's very, e it was very easy for Michael Jackson to allegedly molest these children in a way that he, again, he groomed them. He, he got them to be complicit in it because they didn't know that they were being abused. So the main thread of this documentary is an exploration, again, for how this could have happened, how the families were sucked into what was ultimately just a huge delusion, and overall how Jackson's fan base bought into the distortion, how a lot of people who love Michael Jackson continue, even in spite of this documentary, to say that it's all a lie, that you know his fame should excuse everything that was going on and he should get away with it. The documentary, I should say, does not start with the allegations or what are extremely horrific descriptions of what went on, but it actually spends a lot of time in the beginning setting the stage for how Jackson engulfed himself in these people's lives, in the families, in the children, and so on. So here is a clip from the documentary, and I do have to caution Really, in general, this is subject matter that if it's particularly disturbing for you, if it if it's triggering for you, if you've gone through something like this, first of all, please seek help. Please find someone to talk to. In this documentary, I, I don't think it's something you should feel obligated to sit through. You know, if this is a trauma that you have dealt with, but you know, we definitely encourage people who, if you, if you haven't gone through something like this and you're confused about what abuse really is, if that word is confusing to you, if you're skeptical, this is a very good documentary. And there's also a segment that's played after it from Oprah where she sits down with them and they, they talk about a lot of the psychological stuff behind what they went through and how abuse can be a misleading word. I highly recommend it. I think that you should open yourself up to some really uncomfortable conversations that I think this is a very useful documentary for people. I think that it's actually going to help people understand abuse and maybe point it out and prevent it in future situations. But again, here is a clip of one of the victims, James Safechuck and his mother describing how exactly Jackson became so entangled in their lives long before the real abuse began. Here's the clip. My mother went, my father would join whenever he could, but he wasn't there the whole time. 
He flies you first class. You have a limo waiting for you at the airport. Amazing. You know, it's a life of the rich and famous. I came on at the end of the song band. They would pick kids out of the crowd during the show, and then I'd lead like 10 or 12 kids out. I had a bad outfit on that was just like his. And so I would dance. We like side moonwalked and did a few moves together. All right, that is a clip from Leaving Neverland, now on HBO. I, I recommend this. You know, I think that if you are able to sit through it, I think you should. Uh, I think it's something that recontextualizes a person who, for a lot of years, especially after his death, has gotten a pass from society in a way that it is very complicated. And I understand people who look at this and they don't want to stop listening to his music and enjoying his music. And I can't relate with that. I, I can't say that that's a struggle for me. And that's something that I fully understand in this particular situation. But I'm glad I saw this because as somebody who is just sort of agnostic when it came to Michael Jackson, I believe these victims thoroughly. And I think it's just very convincing. And I think that a lot of the hatred being spewed toward these victims in the aftermath and trying to confuse it and trying to make it sound like they're, they're in this for money and so on are woefully unconvincing and ultimately pretty toxic in my opinion, but that's leaving Neverland. And I, I know we were talking about this before the air, Will Kimber, I know it's on your radar and you're planning to check it out. I do not blame you for waiting. It, I don't think it's going to be an easy sit, but I, I hope both of you are able to check this one out in pretty soon. Yeah. I mean, I definitely am planning to check it out. I just don't know when it will be, but I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely planning to check it out. Yeah. It's on my list as well. And it was something that, yeah, I, I will definitely watch. I've heard really good things about it, but know that it is going to be a, a tough set. And even though I've largely, it's not like Michael Jackson is something that I'm playing at every moment, but I, I think too, I think it was the IndieWire review that was like, that said you aren't going to be able to listen to Michael Jackson at all after this. And um, yeah, that's, that's, that's something that I'm, I'm putting off for a little bit. So. Gotcha. Very understandable. And again, leaving Neverland it's on HBO right now premiered at Sundance a couple months ago and yeah, it's out there now. And it's, it's something that I hope people check out or and they give the time, but totally understandable if people decide to skip it for now and, and just, just wait. And I think patience is totally fine with this film, but Will, since we're on a pretty light note already and we're all in a pretty great mood, let's talk about a quirky, fun new show that you have checked out a few episodes. Of. Yeah. Have you seen all of it that's been out so far? Uh, I've seen every episode that's aired. Not every episode is out yet. Um, okay. I believe it's going to be seven episodes and I've seen four of them that have aired. So three more to go, but, uh, yeah, the, your show, the show you're talking about is uh, Miracle Workers, which is the new show from uh, writer and showrunner Simon Rich, who previously is the creator of the show Man Seeking Women on FXX, which uh, had Jay Burchill and Eric Andre, among others, uh, including Rosa Salazar. I believe I mentioned that during our review of Alita. But uh, yeah, I love that show. I, I think that's honestly one of my favorite comedies of the past, uh, I would say, I guess I've been five or seven years now. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's a fantastic series. I, I think the way that it 
uses a lot of like kind of uh, surrealist like high concept ways of describing things are very much just about uh, you trying to figure out how to text somebody or just go through the trials of dating in a way that feel very extreme, but also very relatable. I thought that was a marvelous show and I was really excited to see uh, what he did with his follow-up series. I know it's based on his novel, which is called uh, what in God's name, which I haven't read yet. I have read a couple of his books, but not that one. Um, but the gist of the show is that you basically go into what they call heaven Inc., which is like basically a factory where heaven exists and they kind of just run the monotonous day-to-day activities of uh what our reality is and um at the center of that is obviously god played by steve buscemi and i mean if you're not convinced to watch the show when i tell you that god plays steve buscemi let me tell you a little bit more about this portrayal of god uh he is middle-aged and deep into the recesses of a midlife crisis and he doesn't really know what he wants to do with uh the earth or what he wants to do with humanity and so he decides that he's just going to do a clean slate, which means that in about two weeks, he's going to uh, eviscerate the earth and just kind of start over with this new restaurant venture that he is starting. And uh, in the throes of this is uh, Daniel Radcliffe. And um, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce her name right, but uh, Geraldine Vesas Uh She was one of the girls from Blockers, Blockers you might remember. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are these uh, quote unquote miracle workers who kind of work low in the factory and just kind of try to answer prayers as best they can for Daniel Radcliffe's character, who's kind of just been doing this for a couple thousand years. He mostly just helps people find their keys or just uh, help them through very, very minor <laughs> situations. I love uh, it. We have yeah, a we have and, a clip actually where right. we have Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, and we have one of, one of the miracle workers as you're talking about sifting through one of these prayers. So let's play that real quick. Every day, billions of people pray. And here at Heaven Inc., we listen. Welcome to Heaven. Right this way for orientation. Welcome to Heaven Incorporated. This is your angel resources orientation. As employees of Heaven Inc., it is our responsibility to keep Earth running smoothly. After watching this training video, you'll have a better understanding of the inner workings of Heaven Incorporated. How prayers are answered. These are incoming prayers, and since the beginning, we've been answering them one at a time. I'm Eliza, and I sort all the prayers right here in the mailroom. Vital life or death stuff. Like, uh, please fix my Wi-Fi. Uh, please give me Wi-Fi. Dear God, if you have any mercy, please let this airport have free Wi-Fi. Well, Ashton, please tell me this show is as good as I want it to be, because it just seems amazing. So I'm yeah, really I hoping... Mean- uh, so far, it's good. I do like it. I do think it's not quite as good as Man Seeking Women, just because I don't think it has um, quite the same amount of identity as that show did. I know a lot of people, or maybe I'm just assuming as much, like I, I'm worried that people are going to be like, oh, this is like another, um, uh, what's that show called? Good Place. Like another show that's based in heaven, just like kind of follows like the like mon- monotonous way of their interactions. But I'd say from what I can tell, I haven't really watched A Good Place, but I think it distinguishes itself from on that uh, popular series, it has kind of more of like a Hitchhiker's Guide to Galaxy sense of humor to it, where it's a little quirky, it's a little uh, very surrealist, I'd say. But there is just kind of like a simple cutesy charm to it that I don't think always works. But I do think at its best, this show is very, very funny. And I will say that it is mostly lighthearted in its approach, but there is like this kind of underlying darkness 
to some of the comedy that I think is properly incorporated just because it just like just when you think things are getting a little too lighthearted, it just like kind of comes out of nowhere and it just like kind of like hits you in that right way. And uh, so I guess I should explain the general plot of the show after uh, God Nazi wants to end the earth is that uh, Daniel Radcliffe and uh, Geraldine, they want to answer essentially one prayer that will prove to God that humanity deserves to be saved. And the prayer they choose is that two people are in love with each other, but they're kind of shy and awkward, and they don't quite know how they can come together. So they both are praying that they can have each other's uh, company. And so they are going out of their way in these next two weeks to basically say, like, put these two together as best as possible. But in doing so, like, they cause, like, all of these, like, dangerous things that happen to other people. Like, uh, like they cause, like, a guy's appendix to burst and stuff. And, like, you see that these telecasts where it's, like, clearly what they're doing, like, in the broad scheme of things, it's saving humanity, but they like have these like little trivialities that like ultimately have like very dour consequences. It's a weird mix that I can see some people may be a little off put by, but I do think if you guys give the show a chance, it's pretty easy to watch. I mean, I don't know when, um, I think it's going to end probably about the end of the month. So you can probably check them all out on, uh, TBS.com. It's a pretty easy, deep, breezy watch. I've really enjoyed what I've seen so far. I don't think it's quite getting to the greatness point that I was hoping it's going to hit. But like I said, I think when it's good, it's really good. And I'm, I want to support Simon Rich no matter what. So for me, I'm going to give it a solid firm B. I, I'm really digging it so far. All right. Yeah. So it's not the great place, I guess, to, to be <laughs> grown worthy, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but it's not uh, quite. Okay. I, I, you got me a laugh there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I love the I love the good place. I, I think that I it does. It, it does have similar tones, but I, I definitely believe you when you say that it's got a different sort of. Uh, I guess I guess you're saying sort of style or sort of mood that it's going for. So that interests me a lot, actually. And yeah. Bring on these TV shows about the afterlife. It's it's about time. I want to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right. So Miracle Workers. I'm going to be checking this one out. I hope I love it. Um, but speaking of things with after in the title, th- this <laughs> isn't Afterlife, which is another show, Will Ashen, that you've seen that we might talk about next week. Literally a show called so. Afterlife. Yeah, yeah. 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 I have some things to say about that show for sure. Yeah, we'll we'll give you another week to process. Um, oh, but sure. Kimber Myers, <laughs> Kimber, Kimber, you watched a new movie called The Aftermath, which I it okay. This movie does not look very good to me, but I want to see it very badly. <laughs> it's the new one with Kira Knightley and Alex Skarsgård and and Jason Clark. But what what is this movie about for people who haven't heard of it? And yeah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this one. Yeah, so this is very much my my thing. Um, so I was excited to see it. It's uh, set in the latter part of 1945 in Hamburg, like months after the Allied victory in World War II. And uh, a colonel and his wife uh, from Great Britain arrive in Germany to handle the reconstruction. Um, I should say that the colonel is handling the reconstruction and not his his wife. And uh, the wife is played by Kira Knightley, um, who stars as Rachel, and her husband is Jason Clark. And they are taking over the home of a German family uh, led by Alexander Skarsgård playing Stefan Lubert. And it's about the uh, various tensions, uh, both like political and post-war, as well as sexual, that happen in that relationship, particularly between uh, Kira Knightley's Rachel and uh, Alexander Skarsgård's Lubert. Okay, and so we have a clip of the aftermath, and in this clip, she 
is tending to a wound. We don't know where he got this wound, but it's kind of a quiet little scene. But yeah, so here's the clip. That's not necessary. You've got grit in it. going to hurt. You've been avoiding me. Have I? I don't think so. I was going to apologize. For what? was going to, but I won't. Kimber Myers, I mean, hide your airport novels. <laughs> this is this is going to get seamy. What, what did you think of the aftermath? Yeah, so like I said, this is very, very much my thing. I liked um, James Kent, the director's last film called Testament of Youth. I thought that that was an underseen film that deserved a few more eyeballs. Um, but this... While I was excited about it, I, I found um, not great, um, to put it in, in two words. But I I think for most of its run, it's interesting when there is that sexual tension between the two of them, even though I don't think it's really based in much other that these are two very attractive people, which certainly is reason enough. Um, but in moments that didn't involve that, I found it rather dull it does, I think, do some interesting things with um, female sexuality and that it does highlight some of, of Rachel's pleasure, which is interesting to see and um, especially nice in a, um, a film directed by a man. There is um, no nudity parody, which is unfortunate. Mm. Um, you see a bit more of, of Ms. Knightley than you do of Mr. Skarsgård, um, which he's definitely not been shy about that in the past. Um, but you do get to see him looking pretty good in some Warby Parker-esque glasses and some nice, nice knitwear. But, um, yeah, I, I liked the, the chemistry between the two of them, found that interesting and was for most of the film at like a a B minus, um, despite it's kind of dull bits, but the conclusion is, unsatisfying and I thought unearned. Um, so it really does itself in, in those, those final moments. So it would, I think if I had to give it a grade, I would give it like a C minus and it really, it drops at least a grade Wow! in that final 10 minutes or so, which I found unfortunate. I thought it was going to do something moderately interesting and then it, it did not. Gosh. Yeah. So critics are right there with you. This only had only 43% of critics liked this. Based on not a lot of reviews, though, just 21 reviews. Average rating is pretty low at 4.6 out of 10. And yeah, the, the the consensus is tasteful to a fault. The aftermath is worth seeking out only for the most passionate period drama enthusiasts. And I have to be honest, when I looked into this, I wasn't like, oh, period drama. But I guess you do get that sense from the trailer that the historical context is supposed to be what supposedly elevates this film. But it sounds like that wasn't quite the case for you. Yeah, I, I did think it was interesting that it was set not in World War II or even really in the thick of the Cold War, which I think we've seen 
plenty of films about both of those periods, but instead it's literally the movie Cold uh, War. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was intrigued by that because you didn't get, I wasn't aware at least of how the, the film really presents it. It goes into some of the, the larger tensions between the British occupying force and the, the German people in a way that I found kind of interesting, but it didn't dig into it as much as I wanted to, but I was also like, okay, let's, let's get back to the, the more interesting bits. So I, I do think this is, this is a really flawed film that, is not worth recommending, um, except maybe for like airplane viewing. But I feel like the airplane viewing would probably cut out the the good mm. bits. So, right, right. And if you're on the airplane, of course, I mean, you need something to put you to sleep. It sounds like so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe read the novel. <laughs> there is that. So yeah, aftermath. That's a C minus for you, Kimber. And I we were talking about this before we started recording. I, I still want to check this one out. Maybe I'm just that big of a Kira Knightley fan. I, I want to see this one and Colette, her two most recent films. And I'm looking more forward to Colette hearing what you have to say about this one. But it, we were talking about this before. I just think this is the kind of film it's raining outside and it's Sunday afternoon and I'm folding some laundry. This is sort of just playing in the background. I'm like, oh, hey, Kira Knightley. Hey, Alex Garsgard. I love these actors. They're just so fun. So sounds like that's probably what I'm going to have to bank on for, for this film. So that's the aftermath. And let's move on to our final review. And that is a new film that I saw this past weekend called The Kid. It's very confusing because I didn't even know the if we were prequel. going to talk about this film. The prequel to The Kid Who Would Be King. Yes, but also... Yes, also a prequel to Bruce Willis and Spencer Breslin's 2000. Oh yeah, Disney Disney's film. the kid. Yes, Disney. It's not Disney's the kid though. This is this is a film directed by Vincent D'Onofrio. I wrote a review for the kid on Cinemaholics.com. It's, it's a bit more detailed, but I, I did check this one out. And, and we were talking about this. We weren't sure if this was video on demand or not because I was able to catch a screening. But it's in limited release, but it's extremely limited release. Kimber Myers, has this mm -hmm. been playing in New York anywhere around you? I assume so. I, I looked and I think it's at a couple of theaters, but it's definitely not getting that uh, super broad release. Which is strange, yeah, because this is D'Onofrio. It's Ethan Hawke is in this, Dane DeHaan. This is a very star-studded cast. Chris and, Pratt uh, plays yeah. the villain. This was this. It's not a film that was shelved necessarily. I mean, they filmed this the end of 2017, but it didn't play it at any festivals. Uh, this didn't really get any marketing. They just sort of dumped it. And here it is, the kid. This is a new western about Billy the Kid, sort of, but not really, because I, you know, I wrote about this in my review. It was like, man, there's so many Billy the Kid films. You know, you can look to all kinds of ones and make the argument like, no, this is the Billy the Kid film. And like, oh no, this one where he just sort of shows up real quick. That's Billy the Kid. I'm a personal, my personal favorite would be I Shot Billy the Kid. I think that one just sort of does the job and it's kind of like the definitive for me, that's Billy the Kid to me. But some people would go back to the silent film era and be like, no, 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 no. This is what really solidified. But Billy the Kid was a real life person. So was Sheriff Pat Garrett. It's a pretty infamous showdown. I won't give away what happens because maybe some people listening don't know a lot of the historical context, but if you don't, I don't recommend watching this movie because this movie does something that is very strange. It, it is absolutely revisionist history, right? Nothing in this movie really happens historically, very, very loosely. And they sort of, it's like the cliff notes version, but if the cliff notes were written by the person trying to skimp the details and 
to me, it's like, if you're going to do that, if you're going to make a film where everything's sort of made up and the stuff didn't really happen, can you at least make it more interesting? You have an opportunity to just be like, ah, this isn't historically accurate. So let's just kind of go for it. And that's not really what this film is. Again, Dane DeHaan is in this. He plays Billy the Kid. Ethan Hawke is in this. He plays Sheriff Pat Garrett. And I got really frustrated with this film because the first half, it really does work pretty well because these two actors are so good. And these two actors, seeing DeHaan and Hawke sort of battle it out with their wits and their history, and there is just a, a really distinct directing style here from Nafiro that's very actor focused that brings the best out of these characters. The problem with this film is that I, I, I get the sense that Andrew Lanham, who did the screenplay was looking at the Billy, the kid story and was like, there's dozens and dozens of Billy, the kid films. So I'm going to make a new one that sort of tells a new version of the tale through the eyes of a new protagonist, this young 14 year old boy played by Jake Schur. And if you're going to do that, I think the big challenge is you're going to run in this situation where that kid is not as interesting as Billy the Kid. Now, the plot itself, such as that it is, is that Jake Shear's character, Rio, gets into some trouble, and he and his sister are trying to escape their evil uncle, played by Chris Pratt, as well as supporting role Chris Pratt's beard, which is something in this film. And I I, I don't joke, like, this this beard is... Oh, I saw it, yeah. It's iconic. Distracting. It's very distracting. So they're on the run. And of course they encounter Billy, the kid and eventually Sheriff Pat Garrett. There weren't any clips that we could find of this film, which is kind of a shame because some of the best moments in the kid are the really slow moments between Billy and some of the other surrounding characters. I mean, Ethan Hawke gets a scene in here where he sort of explains his backstory and it's, it's amazing. It, it's so good. And it's so good that it makes you hate that the second half of this film is a complete train wreck. But here is a clip from the trailer, at least, that kind of gets you into the idea of what this film's about. Here's the here's trailer. My father's beating my mother to death. Bill, you killed no. my brother! No. Lay low with me a while. He'll take us with you. How long have you been sheriff now? Two weeks. Don't I feel special? Oh, Lord, heaven knows we belong way down below. Billy. Billy, Billy. When they start writing about you, it means you're already dead. All of a sudden, I'm enemy number one. All right, that is a clip from the trailer for The Kid. And I don't recommend this one either. We're kind of finishing this episode off with uh, a, a couple, of, couple of weak ones, unfortunately. But it's sad. It really is sad because I finally watched a movie where I liked Dane DeHaan in something. And we've talked about this on the show before. I just do. It's not that I dislike this actor. It's nothing personal. I wouldn't even say he's a bad actor. I just think the uh, roles that he gets are just wrong. But what were you going to say? Well, I'm sure if he was in Thor Ragnarok, you would have loved him. Oh, I'm sure he would have nailed it. I'm sure Taika Waititi would have found the perfect role for him. That one, of, of course, uh, you know, he doesn't get that kind of role, though. He, he never gets like these kind of fun, quirky roles. He always gets like these really downtrodden, you know, tulip fever kind of thing. I didn't see Care for Wellness. So maybe that is the one movie that oh, would also good. change my mind. But 
It's fun. Yeah, yeah. it is not good. Oh, okay. You have a disagreement. Oh, okay. I, I, I'll admit it's messy, but I do enjoy it. <laughs> oh, I like how Kim Bear Two is like, hold your horses, Will Ashton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will not let this in. But yeah, Dana Han, I, I didn't even really like him in Chronicle. I, I know people really like that film, and I like it too, but. I don't like him in that. And, and, I, and that was the point. So I don't think that that was, I think though, actually that is the point for some people. I think a lot of people root for him in that film, but whatever. I've been waiting for this movie that casts him in something that just really captures what I think is a good energy that he gives off a good vibe. It's sort of like the Harry Osborne vibe from amazing Spider-Man two, but the rest of the movie kind of matches it this time. And that's what you get. He actually plays a really good Billy, the kid. I was really impressed and Ethan Hawke, I mean, it's Ethan Hawke. He just, he can play anything in my book. And I think him as Chef, Sheriff Pat Garrett is perfect. So give us that movie. And if you're going to be revisionist, be make it more exciting. Because there are things about the Billy the Kid story that aren't inherently exciting. And you do have to sort of fudge with the details. And there's some of that here. The problem with this film is that at around the halfway point, around when the second act is supposed to be like reaching its like crescendo, Instead, the film screeches to a halt and they put all of the responsibility of this narrative on Rio, on Jake Schur. And you just sort of lose touch with some of these characters. And it's terrible. It, it just is terrible. And I feel bad for saying that because it's not it's not that Jake Schur is a bad actor. It's it's not anything like that. I'm not trying to be harsh. I just don't think he was up to this. I, I think that putting this kid, giving this kid the task of having to compensate for like a lack of Hawk and Dahan for a big portion of this film was a huge, huge narrative misfire. It's the kind of thing that maybe made more sense in the screenplay of like, okay, this is where this story is going to go here. But it's the sort of thing where the director should have realized, no, no, no. Like the real heartbeat of this film is not what, where the screenplay takes it. And it really needed D'Onofrio to be a more, I think, confident director. This is only his second film. His last film was nine years ago. And so I just, I don't get the sense that he had the faith in, I, I, I don't get the sense that he really like had faith in his talent to sort of like go off the script. And I'm speculating. I could be completely wrong about this. I'm just going off of details that I know. It's very possible that he could have, he could be an uncredited writer or something on the screenplay. So I don't want to say anything, you know, over the top about it. But that's just sort of my impression from this film. I just think that it's a narrative misfire in the second half is so bad that it squanders what was actually pretty impressive about the first. So for for me, the kid, I do net out around about a C plus on this. And that's only because even though ultimately I come down on negative, ah man, that first half is pretty good. It it is pretty good. And it, it is like a the sort of thing where you you get to see Ethan Hawk shoot a gun out of somebody's hand. And that's like my jam. Like that that's the kind of thing. That's like what I go to the movies for. So I have a hard time being like, it's the worst movie ever or anything like that. It's just a really bad missed opportunity. So that's the kid. I have a feeling some people are not gonna be as nice to it as I am. <laughs> I have a feeling. I don't really know anybody who outright loves this one. So yeah, I didn't I don't know. Are, are you gonna check this one out at all, Will Ashton? Or have I scared you off a bit? I didn't actually mention Chris Pratt, but I like him as a villain in this. That's something. Uh, I might check it out later on, maybe a rental. I, I can't say it's playing anywhere near me because I, I mean, as far as I know, at least. But yeah, I don't know. It seems like it might be an OK rental, but not one I'm going to rush out to see anytime soon. And you, Kimber? 
Yeah, even as a pretty big Ethan Hawke fan who's still annoyed that he did not get an Oscar nomination for First Reformed, which was excellent. Um, yeah, I, I kind of don't care about this one and uh, don't don't love Dane DeHaan as, as an actor, which is, is not my beef with, uh, <laughs> with uh, A Cure for Wellness. But yeah, I, I'll probably skip this one. There's, there's too many good things. Right, right. Yeah, I definitely don't want to to say that you should check it out or anything else. I, If I could edit this film, and my review for it on Letterboxd was literally just released it in Offerio cut, because you could edit this thing in a good way, because you don't really get the good Chris Pratt stuff, because he goes full psycho in this movie, which I kind of wanted, because I'm just so sick of the kind of safe branding that he's been doing for himself, which just feels like the opposite of risky for him. And But in this film, he is like... Whoa. <laughs> and it was kind of a welcome surprise. If you could just cut out a big, big portion of like the middle and latter third and and just sort of bring in the climax to where this film loses its steam, you you could have something like a pretty whatever B minus or something like that. But that's the kid. Definitely wouldn't rush out and see this one. Only a 39% of critics liked it on Rotten Tomatoes out of just 28 reviews. And a lot of people are checking this one out in the first place. So with that, those are all of our films. For this week, join us next week because there's going to be a bunch of stuff we have to sit through. We might do a Patreon poll to decide what to review because we have Triple Frontier coming out on Netflix. Uh, we also have Captive State, which looks like a very interesting kind of sci-fi. You know, how did how is this weird kind of sci-fi mid-budget film coming out in theaters kind of vibe to it? Uh, there's also Five Feet Apart, which I'm weirdly excited about, mainly because Haley Lou Richardson is Haley Lou, Rich- Haley Lou Richardson, and I'm a Cole Sprouse fan. There's also Wonder Park, Nancy Drew and the Hidden Staircase. I mean, Will, how are we going to decide? This is going to be really tough. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess Triple Frontier might be my choice since it's on Netflix. I don't need to go anywhere, but I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'd be down for most of those, I think. Spoken like a true couch surfer. Uh, Kimber Myers, are, are any of these on your radar? Are you going to be checking out any of these films? So I have already seen Nancy Drew. Um, oh, okay. oh, yeah, it. you did tell me that. Uh, yeah, I'm reviewing it for the LA Times. I saw it yesterday. Um, and I liked it. I don't think it's great, but it is, it's very watchable. It should please parents as well as their kids. Um, I was not miserable watching it, which I think is always always a good sign for me. Yeah. These you had, of it had the, the young actress from It, right? Yeah, she's really good. Um, it's, it's charming. It works. Um, I am looking forward to Triple Frontier, I think. Um, and Captive State is absolutely up my alley, but I've not heard good things. So. Same here. Yeah, I'm kind of weirded out about that one. Oh. Yeah, it's unfortunate. All right. Well, we'll try to see as many of these films as possible and talk about them on next week's show. Thank you for that nice little sneak peek review of Nancy Drew and the Hidden Staircase. <laughs> Listeners, be sure to check out Kimber Meyer's work on the LA Times and you'll be able to find her review. And Kimber, what's your Twitter so people can connect with you further? I am at Kimber Myers. Simple. Yeah, very good. And it's Myers with one E, right? <laughs> it's not yeah. like the, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because yeah, I've run into that problem. Everywhere before. I go. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. All right. That'll do it for us this week. If you love Cinemaholics, don't forget to leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else on the podcast review sphere. You can hang out with us on Facebook, Twitter, and of course, cinemaholics.com. And you can contact us anytime through that website or emailing us at cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. From the internet, California, I am John Agroni. From the internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Will Ashton. And from the internet, New York, I am Kimber Myers. See you next time.